0: Well, I want you to take your Bible and I want you to go with me uh, to the book of Psalm 101, the book of Psalm chapter number 101 and I want to read this Psalm, eight verses uh, of it and then I want, to, uh, I want to go back to the historical background of the Psalm and then come back to it and we're dealing with men in, in this session. Um, as most of you know, I, if you've heard us uh, in, in uh, settings like this, I counsel uh, people every week of my life, multiple people. Uh, nearly every day of my life, I'm counseling some, somewhere. Uh, yesterday morning, our counseling sessions started at 7 in the morning and at 7 in the evening. Uh, the last couple that came in for counseling came in at 7 in the evening. Um, I'm also a deputy sheriff in our uh, sheriff's office, and so I worked. I worked most all day yesterday, and counseled in the morning, uh, counseled on the job, counseled in the evening, and I got home at 10 o'clock. And that's about that's about my day. I mean, that's about every day of our life. And so uh, God has God has opened up a lot of opportunity, and a lot of the counseling that we do uh, has to do with law enforcement personnel. A lot of them have a lot of issues, a lot of difficulties that they're dealing with in their homes, families, and personal lives and so there's a lot that goes on in regard to that and so the pressures that they have one of the one of the th- the jobs that I have is to debrief uh, officers who have been involved in uh, shootings, and so we sit down and we go through uh, what took place during the shooting, you know how you were feeling, what you did during the shooting and i 've had to work men through those kind of situations, and these situations that they 're in uh, oftentimes adversely affects their home and family and so we 're having to deal with that from time to time and so um, uh, the lord's opened up a real huge door of opportunity uh, to minister to a lot of men and so and and homes and so we 're thankful for that now what we 're dealing with here in psalm one o one is David and his psalm here reads is uh, verse number one and following. I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk with uh, within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A froward heart shall depart from me. I, I will know. No, uh, I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbour, him will I cut off. Uh, him that hath an, a high look and a proud heart, will I not suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. Uh, he that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. And so let me pray and then let me take you to the book of First and Second Peter and then we'll work our way back to the book of First Samuel. Lord, we thank you for the day and your kind blessings upon us and your mercies. We ask you, dear Lord, that you'll touch us and help us and move on us and minister to us. Help Miss Beverly, help Brother Chris, help myself, Lord, as we, uh, Father, endeavor to give help from the Word of God or allow you to give help through us, uh, to, uh, through the Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Psalm 101, down in verse number 7, he said, He he that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. What he understands is that dwelling inside of a domicile, dwelling inside of a dwelling, you are affected by what's going on inside that house. So I have the... I have the, uh, the opportunity, wrong word, but you'll understand where I'm coming from. I have the opportunity of being corrupted by what's inside my house. So I have to understand what's going on inside my house, all right? As a, as a man, I have to understand what's going on with my children. I have to understand what's going on with my wife. I have to make sure that I'm very comprehensive about what, what I'm dealing with inside my house. Because if I'm not, uh, then things are going to happen right under my nose that I didn't realize, and it's going to affect all of us before it's over with. Okay, so with your with your hand on the scriptures, go to the book of First Peter, chapter number three. First uh, 1 Peter three. In First Peter, chapter number three, the the P, Peter, interestingly enough, in the book of First and Second Peter, uses one particular word. He uses several, but. One particular word he uses, uh, "replete," over and over again, uh, through the books of First and Second Peter, but he only uses it once in First Peter, and it's the word "knowledge." Okay, so he, he he is talking about knowing something, having a cognizant ability of understanding something. Now, in First Peter three and verse seven, I want you to look at this verse. The Bible said in First Peter three seven, "Likewise, ye husbands, here's what I want you to do." He said, dwell with them, talking about mama, wife. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Now, the, the, the psalmist David, in Psalm 101, was talking about dwelling in a house with deceit and, and, and knowing what he was dwelling with. So, in this verse of scripture, kind of dovetailing them together, he says, I want you to dwell in your house having knowledge of your wife. I want, you to, I want you to know her, and not in a carnal sense. I want you to, to be brain aware, cognizantly aware of your wife, understand her. And then in verse 7, he said, "...giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered." This is a real heavy-duty verse. This, it's huge. There are a lot of ramifications in this verse. First of all, in the verse, he said, I'm giving you a command. This is an imperative. The imperative is you dwell with your wife according to knowledge. You get to know her, you get to know her inside and out, and you dwell with her according to knowledge. How often have you heard preachers say, men say, maybe even you have said, I don't understand her. I, just, I don't get her. I don't I don't understand my wife. Well, I'll be honest with you. I've been with my wife for 40 years, and I still don't understand her completely. And then once I think I do, it changes, all right? That's just, that's life, okay? But God does not give you a command you cannot follow. God never gives you a command you can't keep. And the command given by God through Peter to New Testament men... It's very simply this, you dwell with your wife according to knowledge and you give honor to her. Now, he, he didn't say, the, the idea here uh, uh, with misogynist type guys is, well, you, you got to kind of give honor to her, you know, kind of hold her up because she's weak. I mean, that's, that's what it is. Well, th- that's not what that's talking about. Uh, giving honor unto her is under the weaker vessel is dealing not with weakness, but value. A, a, a Ming vase from the Ming Dynasty of China is a vase of great value, but it has some fragility to it, but it is not it is not treated with great honor because of its fragility it's cre- uh, treated with great honor because of its value and so what he is saying is you 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 seek to understand her and when when you are interacting with your wife. She understands that you are giving value to her life. Not that that you are lording over her, but that you are valuing her and setting her in a position where she senses, he is not just taking care of me because I'm nothing. He is taking care of me and loving me because he values who I am. And she knows the difference, okay? Okay. So how do I do that? Because she's, women are complex. Okay, they're extremely complex. Um, it, we expr- expressed it before. I, I don't mind. I, I don't mind going days without talking. I'm being honest with you. I can go for a long time without talking. Now some people they wake up talking. They go to bed talking. That ain't me, all right? I, 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 I don't have to have meaningful conversations with people to enhance my life. I'm fine, all right? So, but my wife, on the other hand, needs meaningful conversation. And according to Harvard statistics, she needs meaningful conversation about an hour a day, six to seven days a week. I, on the other hand, need meaningful conversation about 15 or 20 minutes, maybe twice a week. And that is the Harvard study, all right? And it's it's pretty true. It's pretty clear. But you cannot have a biblically successful marriage on the basis of our depraved nature and how we like things to be. A, A marriage is going to succeed on the basis of biblical principles. And so notice with me what he said. Dwell with her according to knowledge, the word gnosis, in other words, understanding. Okay, so the next time this word is used, it's in 2 Peter chapter number 1. So flip over to 2 Peter 1. In 2 Peter chapter number 1, the next time the word knowledge is used, it makes this statement. It said grace and peace. Let's stop right there. Who don't want that inside your house? I I, I want grace and I want peace inside my house. And so he said grace and peace, it, it don't just come to you. It can be multiplied in your life, not added to your life. Grace and peace can be multiplied in big fashion in your life. But here's how it's done. It is done through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In other words, the more I get to know him and the more I fall in love with him and the more I get to know through knowledge him, I really believe the more capacity I have to know her because he is more complex than she is. Our Lord is a very complex individual and as I seek to know him... He gives me grace and peace to be able to know her in the process. All right, So the next time it's mentioned is in verse number 3 of the same chapter. He said, according as His divine power, he's, here's what He's given to us. He's given unto us all things that pertain to life. Now, is my dwelling with my wife not life? It really is. That's our life together. And so he says here that as I get to know him, he giveth us grace and peace, and he giveth us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And here's how he gives it. Again, he reiterates through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. So as I get to know him... He gives me everything I need to have every knowledge I need to have about life itself. He gives me the capacity to know life. And my wife is my life. So I'm not just seeking to find out about her by listening to Brother Andy at the marriage seminar at the Marriage Matters. I'm seeking to know her by knowing him as I know Him and behave myself properly with Him, then He gives me the capacity to know her. So, going on, look at verse 5. He said, and beside all this, uh, He said, give all diligence. Add to your faith virtue, and then my responsibility is to add to that virtue, knowledge, and then to knowledge, I'm to add temperance. You will never get to know your wife, nor will you have a marriage relationship that's meaningful if you do not rein yourself under self-control. Temperance is self-control. If you are constantly misunderstanding your wife, and you will, and the response to that is a blow-up in your emotions and a yelling and a screaming and a carrying on, you will never value her And she will never feel honored as the weaker vessel is supposed to feel. She never will. She will feel like she is on quicksand being sucked down in the relationship. And she absolutely will not respond properly. So one of the things that has to do with my knowledge is I'm gaining knowledge of him. But as I'm gaining knowledge of him, one of the things that I'm adding to my life is the ability to be temperate or self-controlled with my emotions, my temper, my anger, my lack of understanding, I'm reigning all of that frustration in. I hope that makes sense. Okay? So the next verse is verse 8 of 2 Peter 1. He said, For if these things be in you and they abound, here's what happens. They make you that you'll neither be, it says, neither be barren nor unfruitful, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So when I am working on this thing, the, the more I work toward this in regard to my home, family, wife, I'm working more toward my Lord, and He is allowing that overflow of what I'm doing in my relationship with Him to fall into my understanding of my home, my children, but part, primarily my wife. So the last, last statement of knowledge that is made mention of is, a, is another command. So in in 1 Peter 3, 7, the first time Peter mentions the word knowledge, it is an imperative command and it is grow in grace and in the knowledge or, or rather it is dwell with them according to knowledge. Now look at chapter 3, verse 18 of 2 Peter. In chapter 3, verse 18 of 2 Peter, here's what he said. He said, but grow in grace. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why? Just because... I love Him. Well, that's the primary reason. But there are so many fringe benefits that come out of getting to know the Lord that it brings grace and peace into my home and life. And now the grace and peace that I'm experiencing, it can I be honest with you? If you're living in hell on earth at home, it is, it is, not, just, it is not just frustrating you. It is adversely affecting your physical health. The stress of it is adversely affecting your physical health. In other words, when you're living at hell at home, you are cutting off days of your life. You are adversely affecting your body. So if I am pursuant of the things God says to be pursuant of, then what happens is grace and peace flood my life. My health is, is helped. My relationship is helped. My children are happy. My home is peaceful, and so who don't want that, right? Who don't want that? All right, so let's go back to Psalms chapter number 101. Our kind of our uh, phrase for the day in, in Psalm 101 is this business of behaving myself. Now, is that really not what we've spoken about already? I'm growing in grace and knowledge, but what that's doing is it's teaching me how to behave myself. Now, when a guy says, that's just how I am, do you know what that means to me? Here's what that says to me. I, I know I shouldn't say that, or I know I shouldn't do that. I know I shouldn't act that way, but you have to understand, that's just who I am. Right, right. Just like sinners are born sinners, and sinners do what sinners do, you're letting your depravity rise above your reason. Okay? Okay. So, yeah, that's that's exactly how you are, and that's exactly how you do because you're sinful, right? All right, so you cannot cannot justify sinful actions just because it's a part of your nature and that's how you were raised. It's still sinful, okay? So, look at verse number 2. David said, I will behave myself wisely. Now, it's interesting that this is found in Psalm 101. In, in our English vernacular, when something is called a 101, it is dealing with the basics of something, the fundamental principles of something. So we could really call this psalm Behavior 101. Behavior 101. So where does David first begin this? Okay, let's go to the book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 18. 1 Samuel 18. This is the psalm right after the Goliath deal. All right, so notice in Psalm 18, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 18. When you get to 1 Samuel 18, I want you to look at how this word is used in connection to and conjunction with the behavior of David. All right, look at verse 5. David went with went Saul sent him, and, notice this, behaved himself wisely. Look down at verse 14. And David behaved himself wisely. Look at verse number 15. And David behaved himself very wisely. Flip the page and look at verse number 30. In the ending of the verse, here's what he said, or the middle really. And David, the Bible said, David behaved himself more wisely. So there are, there are four wiselys here. There is David behaving himself wisely and wisely, then very wisely, and then he went a step beyond and more wisely did he behave himself. Now, when David behaved himself, I want you to notice what happened in David's life, okay? First of all, look at the realm or the sphere, if you will, of where David is going to behave himself. Look at verse number 14. David behaved himself wisely in what? Every way he had. In his interaction with people, in the hygiene of his body, his appetite, every every area of his life had to be governed by wisdom. And so David said, I am going to behave myself very wisely in every area of my life. So, if you're going to be successful as a husband, it's not just the husband part you've got to work on. You've got to work on every area of your life. All right. so going further. Look with me back up, if you would, in verse number 5. The Bible said that when David did behave himself very wisely, look at the ending of verse 5, he was accepted in the sight of all the people. He was accepted in the sight of all the people. Two things here. When a person works on themself, when a man takes his own life as a project and begins to work on every area of his life, it cannot help but be recognized. When these people saw David behaving himself the way he was, they received him and they respected him and they recognized him. He's working on himself. When's the last time anybody saw any improvement in you at all? Any improvement in any area? When's the last time anyone saw any improvement in your life? All right, number three. Look with me, if you would, down in verse number 15, and this dovetails into this. The Bible said that Saul saw that David behaved himself very wisely, and he, Saul, was afraid of him. Now this this word afraid here is not dealing with shaking in your boots fear. This this word fear has the idea of standing in awe of like wow. My my goodness. In other words the 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 leader of the nation of Israel the king one of the most powerful men in the known world of that day saw this lad of a boy Late teens, early 20s. And when he looked at David, he stood in awe. And he didn't stand in awe of the fact that he killed a giant. He stood in awe of the fact that he was behaving himself. The word here, behaving oneself, it has to do with acting in an acceptable way and to reform oneself which is seen in the performance of one's life. In other words, it means a reformation of oneself, which leads to a performance from oneself that cannot help but be perceived by all around. And Saul's standing back, head and shoulders above everybody else, going, wow, wow. This is This behavior business, it has something to do with changing a person. All right? So, number four. Look with me in verse five. The Bible said, and David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and he behaved himself wisely, and Saul set him over the men of war. Here's what I want us to understand. When I take the responsibility of reforming myself, transforming myself into what I need to be for my wife, my home, my family, my God first and foremost, it cannot be helped but recognized. It is respected By other people, we are received by other people, and it increases your capacity for responsibilities to be handed to you. Somebody said, I don't like responsibility. Do you know what I hear? You know what I hear when a man says, I don't like responsibility? Here's what I hear when a man says, I don't like responsibility, I hear, I don't like money. That's all I hear. Because only with responsibility comes riches. Only with responsibility comes notoriety. Only with responsibility comes, comes fame and fortune. And I'm, and I'm not putting emphasis on that. I'm just saying you can't succeed without responsibility. You can't succeed. And what man doesn't want to succeed? If you're, if you're a man, then you don't want to succeed You're cut from a different cloth than I'm cut from. I I desire to succeed. I try to work a minimum. You're listening to me. A minimum of 80 hours a week. A minimum of 80 hours a week. I work from the time the sun comes up to the time the sun goes down. And I succeed in life. I succeed. And we all ought to have that within us. And as we do that, it also gives us a drive and a desire to succeed not just with a pocketbook, but to succeed in, as a daddy, as a granddaddy, to succeed as a husband, to succeed as a preacher, to succeed in whatever ventures I'm involved in. You need to want to succeed. And when you behave yourself, it sets up a platform for having added responsibility, which leads to success. Now, notice this. You cannot behave yourself if this relationship here is not right. Look at verse number 12. In verse number 12, the Bible said, And the Lord was with him. Verse 14 said, David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. David wasn't just seeking something for his benefit. He benefited, but he was seeking something, of this behavior business, because of his interest in his relationship with God. I want my relationship with God to be right. I don't want it to be I don't want it to be formal. I don't want it to be musty and and rusty. I want my relationship to be relevant with the Lord because out of that relationship pours all the grace and the peace and the blessings that God wants me to have. All right? So it's that's a good thing. All right? So look with me down in verse 30, in verse thirty, the Bible said, Then the princes of the Philistines went forth. It came to pass after they went forth that David did this. And then the Bible said that all the servants of Saul, uh, that, uh, wisely, more than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. In other words, when you decide that I'm going to take this business of, of behaving myself wisely, appropriately, reforming my life so that I can perform for the power of God when I do that in my life and we're not talking about preachers we're talking about every man when a man does that here's what comes out of it he develops a reputation whether he wants one or not i, I don't i'm not i don't i don't i'm not seeking to promote myself but when you do the kinds of things david did you can't help but people know who you are. That's a part of what comes out of the package. So, now, what was his response to that? Look at, look at that last statement there in verse number 30 about David. When David was much set by, and when David, the Philistines recognized David, what? how did David respond? He did not come to a plateau of behavior and say, I have arrived. Notice the next statement it said in verse number 30, he behaved himself more wisely after that, in other words, he said i've worked on myself i 've got myself to this place, and now i 've got more responsibilities than i've ever had i 've got more wealth than i 've ever had, more riches i 've got more a bigger reputation than i 've ever had i 'm recognized more than I've ever had. So what do I need to do now? Have I reached this plateau plateau of success, and this is where I stay? It said no i 'm going to go a step further and go more wisely than i 've been before." I want to. you'll never reach a place and point where in your life as a man, whether it's a relationship at work with the people that you work with and the job you do or whether it is your relationship with your husband, you will never reach the place and point where you do not have the ability to grow more and become more. And that is the blessing of the journey that we're on. Wouldn't it be an awful life to just be able to reach a plateau and never go any further than that in life? That would be horrible for me. That would be horrible. I don't want that in life. I don't want a life of mediocrity. I want a life that's continuously growing, growing, growing. And so that's what, that's what happens when you behave yourself. Now let's go back to Psalm 101. And we've got to lay this, lay this down in Psalm 101 and then we'll be done. In Psalm 101, if I'm going to behave myself wisely, then there are, there are some, there are some uh, rules for that that are very, very important. All right, so look with me beginning in, in verse number 1. He says, I will, and then he says, will I. Verse number 2, I will, I will. Verse number 3, I will. Verse number 4, I will. Verse number 5, will I and will not I. And verse number 8, to end the chapter, he says it again, I will. So if I am going to behave myself wisely, be the best husband I can be to dwell with her according to knowledge, be the best man I can be and continue to grow, there has to be... A decision made on my part to do it. It doesn't just happen because I'm a good church guy. I've got to make up my mind I'm going to be more tomorrow than I am today. That's why I encourage all of you to keep a journal. You need to keep a journal, not a diary. Keep a journal. Record in your journal the days that you have victories and the days that you have defeats because you're all going to have defeats in your life, but you're also all going to have victories. And when at the end of each day you can record that day as a victory or that day as a defeat and you can go back in a, in a down time in your life and you look back over the last several months and you say, well, look here, I strung together 30 days of victories in my life. It wasn't but two days of defeats. When you begin to keep those kind of records in a journal and record what you read and record the time you've prayed and what you prayed about and and record ideas of how you can make your life better or go listen to men that encourage you in the Lord and jot down every quippy thing they have to say. I'm a quote collector. I have Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of quotes that I have collected from men I've heard preach and men I've heard speak and books I've heard read, uh, that I've read and books that I've listened to and men that I've listened to in seminars these things have helped me to develop into the man that I am today am i am I all I'm ever going to be? I sure hope not. I need to be more I need to do more. But the journal keeping will help you with that. But I've got to make up my mind, am I going to do this? Well, that's my, that's my choice. Now, look at verse number two, verse number one again. He said, unto the Lord will I sing. Let me just make this statement. I got a, I got a really fancy outline, but I'm not going to give it to you. All right, verse number one talks about singing. Let me say this. Behaving yourself wisely will be determined in large part to the kind of music you let go in your head. The kind of music you allow go into your life will determine the kind of man... Now, I'm not a music guy, all right? I'm, I'm not. I can go the rest of my life without hearing another song, and I'm fine. I'm being honest. I don't, I'm don't. i not a music person. The Reignses are music people. I could go to church and never sing and be fine with that. I'm being honest. I'm the, probably the only person you've ever heard say that. I mean, I don't, I'm not, it's not a big deal. I go months without listening to music. I listen to it in my prayer time. I listen to hymns in my prayer time. I'm just not a music guy. But I do know this. I do know it's biblical. I do know that the kind that you let in is extremely important. And I know that it will change your life for the positive or for the negative. It definitely will. So music was important to him in this selection. Now notice something else. He said in this text, and I've only got a minute, so I'm I'm just going to give this to you in verse number 3. Here's where we're killing ourselves. Here's where we're killing ourselves. Verse 2, he said, I'm going to behave myself in a perfect way. Okay? That perfect way in verse number 2, the word perfect there deals with integrity. He said, I'm going going to be a man of integrity. Now, notice the next statement in verse number 2. He said, I'm going to be a man of integrity within my house. Not in the community. Here's what he's saying. When I am inside the four walls of my home, locked up, shut up, inside the four walls of my home, by myself with nobody there, if I'm going to behave myself wisely and get the benefits that come out of it, when I am all alone, I've got to be a man of integrity. Now notice, it's no coincidence that he follows it up with the next statement. If I'm going to be that man of integrity when I'm all alone... I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Good. I'm not going to look at wicked Good. things. If I look at wicked things, they're going to compromise my integrity. And if, I, if my integrity is compromised, then I lose my edge and I'm not able to be effective. I'm not able to get the blessings I want. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not able to get the benefits. I'm not able to treat my wife right, my children right. Our, our nation is dying. Our men are dying because of pornography. Now, I think we've talked about this before to some degree, but now we're, we're in a session with just us. Statistics. Over 50% of pastors, not talking about church guys on the pew, we're talking about over 50% of pastors say that pornography is a trap stick. Now, this is not Baptist pastors. This is all pastors say that pornography is a trapstick to them. Not that they're pursuing it, but that it isn't it can be an issue in their life. Over thirty percent of pastors, all denominations included, over thirty percent of the pastors that were willing to be honest in the survey said they were functionally addicted to pornography. Thirty percent. Over thirty percent. And so let me share this with you if I've not shared it with you before. What happens in, a, in, in pornography is very simply this when you view pornography there is a dopamine dump in your brain the dopamine is at the same levels as if I cut a line of cocaine and snorted it the difference is this this dopamine dump is taking place as a result of something that is naturally built into my body which is my sexual desire when I'm putting cocaine in my body, that's something from outside the body that I'm becoming functionally addicted to that's not a part of who I am, which makes pornography more addictive than cocaine. All right? So what happens with most pornography is this, there's a self-pleasure that takes place. And with self-pleasure, what happens in the chemical makeup of the body, there is a dump of a chemical called oxytocin. God put oxytocin in the body And that particular chemical is released when pleasure takes place in a man or a woman. I'm choosing my words carefully, okay? So when that takes place, God put oxytocin in the chemical makeup of the body so that when that takes place, it, it marries you emotionally to the point of pleasure. It marries you emotionally to the point of pleasure. That's why... Men can't break free. They've been doing this since they were 11 years old. It's now down to four, four and five. And they are now at the place and point where they're hopelessly addicted because they are emotionally married to the point of their pleasure and they are going to have a hard time having meaningful relationships with a wife and a functional family. I have to counsel with people all the time that have these issues. And so we have to understand we must learn to behave ourselves, so that we can be all God wants us to be and receive every benefit and bounty that God wants us to have so that we can be everything that woman needs us to be. Thank you.